Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. I am just just got back Friday night from what is the third of four residencies that I've been attending over the last 12 months being trained in the art of spiritual direction. If that's not a term you're familiar with, spiritual, a spiritual director is someone who comes alongside of you and in essence helps you both develop and deepen relationship with God. Really helping you learn how to do two things. One is to recognize where God is at work in your life, which can be really hard, right? How many seasons have you walked through where you're like, nowhere? That's the answer. He's nowhere at work in my life. And that's never true. But then the second part is learning how to respond to whatever it is that he is inviting you to in every season that you're in. So I've had three of these residencies. My program is going to be two years long in totality, but the second year is all virtual and online. So I was just in Ashland, Ohio, uh, which maybe one person in the room has ever heard of. It's because it's just her, because it's like this big. It's great. It, it has been this amazing place in my life that God has moved most powerfully. Um, but there's never, uh, if you would have put it, like I never would have guessed Ashland, Ohio was the place that God was going to like turn my life upside down, but it's been the case. And uh, so I was there for seven days this time, which was a really long time. But all week long, um, I kept having the words of Psalm 126, kept feeling drawn to Psalm 126 over and over again. And so my pattern has been to attend these residencies, and I always go in having no idea what I'm going to teach about the, the Sunday after. And, uh, and God's been faithful every single work, week to, to move in my own life so deeply that I, by Friday, which is a little stressful for me, I like to know by Monday, God's never told me before Friday, uh, but I, but Friday came and I was like, all right, Psalm 126, that's it. So we're going to be in Psalm 126. And, uh, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, that would be awesome. <clears throat> but I just want to talk to you about Psalm 126 and then just share a little bit of my week with you, if that's okay. Um, and the reason that I think Psalm 126 is so appropriate is I really feel like it brings a bit of resolution to so many of the themes that we have been talking about as a church the last few months together. We've been talking a lot about this kind of collective season that so many of us find ourselves in, a season that the ancient mother and fathers of the Christian church referred to as the desert season. And what's interesting about this kind of moment in time that we're all in is that in a sense, the vast majority of the globe is in a desert season, which is pretty crazy if you really think about that. Because COVID and so many of the same things affected so many of us worldwide in 2020 and 2021, there is a real sense, no matter what continent you're on, when you talk to people, if they're in touch with where they are, many, many, if not most people would describe their current season of life as a desert. Now remember, desert seasons are those seasons that we have when something disrupts our life and experience, and, and those seasons are filled with more questions than answers. They're filled oftentimes with more doubts 
than faith, more fatigue and weariness than energy and strength. In short, desert seasons are exactly what they sound like. They are very dry. They can be dry emotionally. They can be dry relationally and physically and mentally. And most damaging, they are very dry spiritually. And because these desert seasons that every, I want you to hear this, because we tend to think when we're in the desert, something's gone wrong. Every follower of Jesus in the history of time has gone through at least one, if not regular desert seasons in their life. But because those desert seasons feel so dry, we tend to equate them with some sort of spiritual danger. We think, okay, well, the desert season, because it feels so dry, it must be bad. It's to be avoided because it is dangerous. But here's the truth. The desert is not the threat. The desert is not a threat to your spiritual life. The desert is not a threat to your relationship with Jesus. The desert is not a threat to your life with God. The greatest threat to everything that God wants to do in your life in the desert is despair. It's always despair. Because despair is the loss of hope. And despair is the loss of faith. And here's the problem with despair, and I just more than anything in my guts want you to hear this. Despair is a liar. It's never truthful. Despair is a liar, and it whispers to you, God has abandoned you. God does not see you. God does not care about you and your hurts. God does not love you. And that is why you feel alone. And so what happens is when we listen to the lies of despair, we give up on the God who is there. We give up on the God who does see, who does care, who always loves us and never leaves us. The greatest threat to everything that God wants to do in the desert seasons of our lives is despair. And so here's the big idea that I believe Psalm 126 silences the lies of despair. So if you'd like to write things down, write this down. God has always grown new life from dead dirt. God has always, this isn't like a new thing, a 2022 thing where God's experimenting with like a new MO. Read the Bible. This is what he does. Start to finish. We even get this picture in the book of Revelation of what God will do in the end. And guess what he does? He brings new life from dead dirt. This is what he does. This is who he is. He brings new life from dead dirt. But as Matt did such a great job of telling us during worship, we need to be reminded of that. Because when you're in the desert and all you see is dead dirt, it's easy to forget. So we need to be reminded. We need context for the desert. We need language to understand what's happening, language to be able to talk with God about where we are and what we're doing, and we need some instruction. And so to that end, I wanna draw your attention this morning 
to Psalm 126. And so if you haven't yet, open up to Psalm 126. If you don't have a Bible this morning, it's going to be up on the screen. But Psalm 26 is what is called a song of ascent. I believe there was 12 songs of ascent in the Psalms. And these were songs that the Jewish people would sing, scholars believe, as they literally climbed the steps up to the temple to worship God during festivals or times of prayer. So Jewish pilgrims would come and they would sing these songs as they climbed up these steps. So they were called songs of ascent. And Psalm 126 is filled with hope for the present due to God's faithfulness in the past. Like we just sang about God being the same God. He's the same God today that he was yesterday. Every time God's moved in our life in the past, that same God is with us now and will do the same things. But we need to remember who he is and what he's done. See, God has this long, rich history of reversing the fortune of his people. Again, read the scriptures. That's what we see him doing from start to finish. And the reason that he does that is because at his heart and to his core, he is a redeeming God where he puts right things that have gone wrong. He's a redeeming God. And so that's what we see another picture of here in Psalm 126. We'll break this up into two parts. First three verses, back three verses. So listen with me. Psalm 126 verses one through three say this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, so notice this is past tense. This is the psalmist looking backwards. When the Lord in the past restored the fortunes of Zion, God's people, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. Now, here in these first three, voice, first three verses, as Matt again talked about in worship, I feel like I didn't need to come up here. Matt sort of just took the whole message from me. But notice that we see the, the importance of reflecting on God's past faithfulness and provision. Do you know that one of the most consistent commands, I think the most consistent command in scripture is fear not. But I think the second is the invitation to remember. It's everywhere. Remember, remember, remember. Why do we celebrate Holy Week? To remember. Why do we gather on Good Friday? To remember. Why do we take communion? To remember. Why do we come together like this? Because we are a forgetful bunch and we need to remember. And so we see the importance of that here again. God in the past, as the psalmist writes this, God had redeemed his people over and over. We see it in individual lives, but we also see God doing that with the nation of Israel. Think about Egypt. After 400 years of slavery, God led them out. He redeemed them from that situation. He reversed their fortune. After 70 years in exile, God redeemed them from exile and led them home. And we see no greater picture of God reversing the fortune of his people than the cross. Where for all people, at all places, at all times, Jesus gave his life to provide the opportunity and the invitation to have one's entire life reversed and redeemed. This is what God does. And so notice how filled with emotion this psalm is. Notice their emotional response in the past. They are marked by joy. They are marked by laughter. 
Even the watching world, did you notice that? That the watching world looks on where, what they have experienced, and even they're in awe. They're like, look at what God has done with his people. And they are in joyful awe of what God has done. So I want you to think again, to remember with me for a second, a time that God has done this in your life. A time when maybe God delivered you from a situation that you thought was hopeless that he provided for you in a really key moment, a time that he saved you or, or even sustained you. You know, that's grace too. Sometimes just surviving is grace. Think about a time he sustained you through something. I, could, I was thinking about it this morning. I could share hundreds of stories in the last 41 years of my life in ways I look back now and I see God doing this. But here's the most recent, okay? And this is a, intentionally just a small kind of everyday one. As I said, I just got back from Ohio and I received the beautiful parting gift of food poisoning on Friday when I left. Now, if you have never had the experience of being a not small, fully grown man puking in an airplane toilet, I invite you to a new experience. Because it's so small, you can't even get on your hands and knees. I had to do a deep squat in this, like just straight down. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be, it was horrible. It was a terrible, terrible experience. And I just sat in my seat. Thankfully, the guy next to me was asleep and had headphones on because I could not stop moaning. I was just, it was the most torturous experience. Eight hours of either sitting upright or walking through an airport, trying not to puke all over them. It was just, I, I can tell you where every garbage can in Terminal C is in the Minneapolis airport, because I was on that, okay? I just needed to know where all my options were. It was just terrible. And so <clears throat> through that whole eight-hour experience, no joke, I was just begging God. Beg, I was praying harder than I prayed some hard prayers this week. I was praying hard prayers on Friday. God, please just give me relief and get me through this. And by God's grace, I'm here and I feel better. <laughs> Now, you might look at that and go, well, it's food poisoning, like, or stomach bug, or whatever it was, that always goes away. But that cynicism and skepticism is the enemy of faith. Because it does this thing in our soul where it tells us, like, it doesn't matter if you asked God. God didn't really sustain you through that. You just got through it. But I don't believe that, because there was legitimately a point in the Minneapolis airport where I was like, this is where I live now. There's no way I can get on this plane. It was terrible. And there was a point, no, kid, no, no joke, I got dropped at the furthest gate from baggage claim in Salt Lake City, and my bags were at the furthest possible baggage claim. And I was walking, I, had, I distinctly remember where it was. It was like 7.47 on Friday night, and I was like, I was looking, I was like, I God, I can't, there's no way I can keep walking that far. I did not think I was going to make it home. And I asked God for strength, and I believe he met me there and he helped me through. Now again, that is a tiny everyday example, but genuinely, I believe that God does what we see here in countless ways. We just so frequently overlook it, or we diminish it. Now I could tell you huge stories of literal miracles that I have seen God work in my own life, but I think oftentimes we're only tuned to those things and we miss the everyday ways in which God does exactly what we see happening right here. So the psalmist starts with this past remembrance of God's faithfulness. But then listen to verse four. 
He then prays and says, restore our fortunes, Lord. Like water courses in the Negev, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Now notice, despite all this reflection on God's past faithfulness, they're not in a joyful place at this moment. That was in the past. They are back in the desert now. And it's interesting, I was doing some reading on Negev. It's an actual place, a region. And it's this transition, I brought, I brought a picture of it that is deceiving because it looks beautiful. Kind of looks like Tatooine from Star Wars, which is awesome. <laughs> but it's this literal transitional place, region, between the very fertile center of the Holy Lands in the north and the dry deserts of the south. And there's just enough vegetation in this region for nomadic shepherds to be able to feed their flocks and to survive. But it is dry the vast majority of the year, like no rain whatsoever. And so they get these short seasons every year where there is so much rainfall in the north that it literally fills all of these streams in Negev And it provides all of the rain necessary to, again, supply and to sustain them through these really dry seasons. And so the psalmist here is pleading with God, Lord, you have sent the rain of your provision and your blessing and your healing before. We need you to do that again. And I want you to notice that in these verses, there are two very important promises that we have got to latch on to. Promise number one is this, God will bless what we invest. God will bless what we invest. Notice, he says, those who sow in tears will reap. They will. There's no like, I hope we will reap. There's no question here. It is a stated, it is stated as fact, as if this is law of life with God. Those who sow in tears, they will reap. And I sat in my hotel room Friday morning. I was praying through Psalm 126. And I had this image as I was thinking about these verses. I had this image of a farmer. And I don't know why, it was a female farmer. But she was in the desert, like Negev, And she was preparing dry ground to plant seed. And she was looking at this dry, cracked ground. And through tears, all I saw in her face was doubt. Looking at this and thinking, man, nothing can grow from this. And she worked and worked and worked, but she just kept having that thought, man, nothing can grow from this. There is nothing but death in this dirt. And I don't know about you, but I've very much had seasons where I have felt that. Where I've looked at a season, a situation, a circumstance, something going on in life, and I've thought, man, this is hopeless. It's hopeless. But that's the lying voice of despair. It's never hopeless. But when we fall victim 
to believing and listening to the voice of despair, what happens is we don't sow because we give up. We don't sow because we just give up. And what's interesting is I was, I was actually reading something that a farmer wrote about Negev. And he was saying that if, 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 in there, if you are in a region, farming in a region where for 10 to 11 months out of the year, there is no rain, and you don't prepare that soil for the rain to come, when it comes, it hits it like concrete, and it just goes away. You have to prepare the soil ahead of time, otherwise the water just washes away. You have to invest the preparation in the soil or it will not bring a harvest, no matter how much rain actually comes. And so here's my concern in this. Some of us have so listened to the voice of despair that we are not investing. We are not sowing the seed. The desert has felt so long. It feels so dry. It looks so hopeless that we are not investing the seed of sitting with God in prayer in the midst of it. But if we would, God will bless what we invest. I saw an amazing example of this in a person this week. One of our instructors uh, this week was a woman named Ann Hawley. And uh, I've, I'd never heard of her before. I didn't know anything about her. <clears throat> but I think it was on Thursday. I noticed in the back of the room, this uh, woman came in. She actually turned 77 on this day that she came to teach us. She's had a really hard year physically. And so she was like two clicks from a shuffle as she came to the front. And my favorite thing about her, she was wearing like a, a black jumpsuit like sweatsuit. She looked like a soprano. Like it was incredible. It was felt. She had on a white turtleneck and a huge crucifix around her neck. And she just came in. I was like, it's about to go down. <laughs> I just had a feeling, but she, it was the kind of like, she just had the physical appearance of someone that if you saw her at the mall, she would not draw your attention. You'd just be like, oh, there goes a sweet older lady. as she walks by, you wouldn't even notice her, but she told her story and her story has been marked by an immense amount of pain to the point that there was a point in her life in which she uh, deeply, a day in which she deeply contemplated committing suicide, taking her own life. But then she went on to tell us how a, kind of a miracle happened in her life. She didn't on that day, and it transformed everything for her. God saved her, brought her into healing relationship with him. But she told all of these stories about how there are all these different wounds and experiences and, and traumatic experiences that she'd had in life that she had to like sit with God and pray through sometimes the same thing for years on end. But it was just story after story of just this quiet investment. I'm just going to keep sowing seed. This looks, looks like dead dirt. It doesn't look like anything is going to come from this. There's no sign of rain, but I'm just going to keep investing. And I'm telling you, I got to experience firsthand the effect in this woman's life of how God has blessed her. She's probably this tall. And I'm not, I'm not, this is exactly what happened. She came to the front of the room. They had introduced her. She came to the front of the room. She stood just like this. She raised her hands. She said, Holy Spirit, come. And I burst into tears, which I don't do that often. But it was just like, 
I mean, a truth I don't even know how to describe, never had experience like that in my life. Holy Spirit come, and it was like, boom. And I could feel that. And then I was like, this woman's my spirit animal. <laughs> it was amazing. And then she went on to teach for like two hours, and it was mind-blowing. Every side was like riveted the whole time because there was just, I don't know I've ever been around someone that I so clearly sensed, this person has been with Jesus. And that's what happens when in the desert seasons, we continue to sit with God and to invest in the preparation of the soil through prayer. Somehow clinging to this sliver of hope that God's going to send the rain. And so my point in this is just to say, God can always, this is not an overstatement, God can always bring a harvest out of hard seasons. Always. So despair is a liar. God can always bring a harvest out of hard seasons. And so the real question is, is there an investment from us, is there an investment for God to bless? Because if we've just given up, then there's no investment there. So that investment may be small, may be messy. It probably will and should be messy much of the time. But are we investing? So that's promise number one, that God will bless what we invest. The second is that God will bring joy from sadness which is hard to believe. God will bring joy from sadness. That's what we see in these three verses. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts, surely, surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. And this farmer, notice, this farmer has nothing but his own tears to water this seed that he is sowing. But they were enough until the rain came. I thought a lot about tears this week. And the Psalms especially have so much to say about tears. Psalms are filled with examples of God sending healing, blessing, to use this metaphor, to send rain in response to tears that are sown. We see that God is near to the brokenhearted. There's a psalm that says that, that, that God captures every tear that we cry, and he honors them by holding them in a bottle. I think I read that when I was like 14, and that image just blew my mind that God captures every tear that we cry. He holds them and he honors them. But here's my mistake. And this has been a huge area for me, a long, long pattern of brokenness and woundedness in which God is still very much in the process of healing for me. But my mistake is I don't like to even be aware of my hurts. And I definitely do not like to acknowledge them and to allow myself to grieve in response to them. Now here's the problem with that. We see here 
And I would argue that we see this over and over and over again in the Psalms, that joy comes after. I would argue joy comes through the tears. But oftentimes, if you're anything like me, you don't want to be aware of them. Even if you have some lingering awareness, you don't want to acknowledge them and you don't want to allow yourself to actually grieve them. Now, here's the problem with that. Denying grief does not produce joy. It produces delusion. Denying your grief doesn't produce joy. And I'm telling you, I think that this is epidemic in the church. We have all of this hurt and pain and woundedness and grief, and the Christian way is to just like, I'm going to shove it all down, and I'm going to be joyful. That's not joy. It's delusion. And God is not in delusion. God is in truth. And I, again, experienced this in such a powerful way this week. In the spectrum of emotion... Sadness, for me personally, is by far the most difficult for me to experience. And I think it has a lot to do with there is a history of suicide and depression in my family. And as a result of that, somewhere in like the neural pathways that mark my brain, is this belief that sad people die. That sadness or depression is like this hole that people fall into and they don't come out of it. So then you have to push all that away in order to be happy and in order to to feel joy. Now the problem with that is that it's, again, it's contrary to what scripture and science would tell us. And so my MO, for the vast majority, and I still struggle with it to this day, but is to avoid sadness, to suppress it, and to deny its existence in my life and in the lives of the people around me. It's really hard for me to allow my wife to feel sadness, for my kids to feel sadness. And we've had a lot in the last five, six years to feel really sad about but it's still very, very difficult for me. And so as I was with God over and over again this week, I just kept sensing this invitation from him, specifically around tears. And the invitation that I continued to sense from him was trust me enough to allow yourself to feel and to acknowledge this grief. And so every Wednesday of these residencies, we do like a 16-hour silent retreat alone. No music, no reading outside of scripture. 16 hours, yeah, 16 hours of silence. First time I went in, I was like, oh, sweet Jesus, I'm going to need your help with this. I was so nervous about it. And it's been awesome every time. And so I went into this one like at peace. I wasn't super anxious about it. But I started with a time of centering prayer and I read some scripture and I was getting ready uh, to really talk to God about this grief. And that part I was pretty anxious about. 
And I was looking out the window of my hotel, <clears throat> and um, I was so mad because it was raining outside. Because I really wanted to go for a walk. I was at like a Hampton Inn, okay? It was like two clicks from a hostel. It was not awesome. So I was like, Lord, I got to get outside of this room, and I want to spend some time with you. Why does it have to be raining? And this, this might make some of you really uncomfortable, and that's okay. There's lots of churches, so... I heard God respond to that question, why does it have to be raining? I heard him more clearly than I've ever heard him before. And he said, I let it rain so you could feel my tears on your wounds. I was like, okay. So I went outside and I walked and walked and walked. And I don't know how long I walked, enough to be soaking wet. And I started as early as I could remember. And I just told God, God, when this happened, it hurt. And when this happened, it hurt. And when that happened, it hurt. And it rained and rained and rained. And then I was done, and I am not making this up. The rain stopped. And God said, see, the tears stop. And I was just blown away at God's faithfulness to me in this moment. And my point is, I wouldn't have had that healing experience had I not answered God's invitation to grieve. And I've got a long way to go. But I had to answer that invitation to grieve. And I really think that God's inviting many of us to that same thing. Because we're not often taught how to do this well, especially as followers of God. And so I was just thinking through my, I'm not like a grief expert. I suck at it. So do, what this with, do with this what you will. But I was thinking about my own experience this week and what the sowing of my own tears required of me. And so if you are someone like me that is a little bit more closed off to sadness, then maybe this will be helpful to you. But it requires these three things. I've kind of mentioned them here and there. The first is awareness. You have to be aware that you have grief. And some of you are just like all heart, and you're like, I'm all sadness all the time. God bless you. We need you. Some of us are like, <laughs> I, God gave me this word. I swear God gave me this word this morning, and you'll never forget it probably. I just think some of us are like emotionally constipated. <laughs> it's an effective phrase if you think about it. Our bodies, literally, our bodies are carrying something that is meant to be let go. And that's what grief is. That's what anger is. It's something that our bodies carry that if we don't process it emotionally, the body 
The soul holds it. And so you need awareness. Are you aware of the grief and the distress that you carry? The second thing is an acknowledgement. See, some of us, I think, are aware that we have had trauma and pain in our past. We're aware of that, but it's like this unwanted companion that we relegate to some dark closet in our lives. We just don't, we're going to pretend like it's not there. And the invitation of Jesus with him is to face it, to befriend it, and to acknowledge it to ourselves. That's first step. Acknowledge it to God and then acknowledge it to one another. And I do believe there are three legs on that stool of how we do that. It's ourselves, it's God, and it's one another. And you don't have to sit up here like I'm doing and tell others about it. But you need to have a safe person in your life that you can acknowledge this to. And then the third is allowance. You have to let yourself grieve. And so maybe, like me, you need to have a real good cry. And I'm telling you right now, there's no one in this room who understands how hard that might be for you more than me. God, I guess. He's a good one to come in second to. But man, I know, like it's uncomfortable for me. It scares me. I feel like I'm out of control. So I understand how hard it is, but you have to allow yourself to grieve because joy follows sadness. Now, as I was thinking and praying about sharing this with, with all of you, I really had this sense that many of us might feel very overwhelmed by it overwhelmed in the sense that this is not something that is easy for many of us. Like you might sit here and like me, you're like, I I have two emotions, anger and sleep. And so to hear like, man, God, God wants to be in to make you aware of all of your emotions. He wants you to acknowledge those. He wants you to allow yourself to be with him in the midst, like for many of us, that is very, very overwhelming. And so if this is overwhelming to you, I've got very, very good news for you, okay? God is where you are. God is where you are. And by that, I mean, he, he's not the kind of father who calls out to you demanding that you come to where he is. That is the great lie of religion. It is the great lie of the world that you have to be someone other than you are, that you have to be somewhere other than where you are. And until you become that person or you attain that place, God is not interested in you. That is a lie. You know what kind of God, kind of father God is? He's the kind of father who comes to us. He pursues us where we are. He welcomes us where we are. He is waiting where we are. He meets us right here. He takes our hand and he leads us into greater wholeness. And he doesn't rush us. He doesn't hurry. You know, like this is one of the great realizations in my life over the last year. 
God is not in a hurry with us. We're in a hurry for everything. God's not in a hurry. You might hear that voice. It's like, God, why am I still this way? Why do I still have this wound? Why do I still respond like this? God's not anxious about that. He doesn't push. He doesn't prod. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to take seven stairs at once. Just one. Hand in hand. And when you need to sit and rest, sit and rest. Please don't listen to this hearing like that you need to be where I am. And I don't need to be where you are. You have to be open to God where you are. And so the invitation in this is just to do what you can. Maybe you need to Google the feeling wheel and just see that there are more than two feelings. Maybe that's, I mean, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but like maybe that's your step. Maybe you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are, what are these emotions you speak of? But maybe that's your step. Maybe you need to come talk to me. Maybe it's time to take the big step toward therapy. Maybe it's time to pray again because it's been a minute. The invitation of God is just do what you can because I'm with you right there. And so I want to invite you to just close your eyes for a second. Put down whatever you've got in your hands. Some of you are just the most diligent note takers. I love it. But put down the stuff in your hands and I want you to just sit back and I want you to close your eyes for a second and really be present. God is here right now where you are. Just take a breath and acknowledge that as true. And as you breathe, I just want to invite you to whisper this very simple prayer. Abba, you are where I am. Just sit with that for a second. Not where you wish you were, not where you feel like you are supposed to be. Abba, you are where I am. God has always grown new life from dead dirt. And he is going to grow new life from the dead dirt of your life and mine. And so this morning, I want to invite you with me to invest. Invest trust. Invest prayer. Invest relationship. Even if you have barely any hope, keep investing what you can. And to trust that joy is coming again. Holy Spirit, it has been a hard couple years to find joy much of the time. It's been a hard couple of years to hold on to hope and to faith. And it's not just COVID and 
the dumpster fire that is our world right now. It's all the just individual life stuff that we're all carrying, much of which other people aren't even aware of. Lord, we all also have all of this woundedness from our past. Lord, no one knows more than you in this very moment how much hurt is in this room. You know better than we do how much hurt is inside of us. And oftentimes, Lord, our souls feel like a desert. They feel like dead dirt. But Lord, I pray that in this very moment that your Holy Spirit would give us hope that you are in the business of bringing new life out of dead dirt. And you may not do it today, and you may not do it tomorrow, but a day is coming when you will. And so I pray that you would fix our eyes on you, that you would give us the strength to invest in relationship with you, however we can, where we are right now. And I pray, God, that you would help us to hold on to hope that joy comes after sadness. God, I just pray in these next few moments even that you would do a healing work specifically to our hope. Our hope that you love us, our hope that you are with us, our hope that you are a healer and can heal us, not just everybody else, but us. A hope that you can provide, hope that you can deliver, hope that you are the God that we see you to be in Scripture, the God that you have been. Give us hope that you are still that same God today. Help us to believe that's true. In Jesus' name, amen.